Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. What's up, guys? Ben here. Got another great podcast for you. This time, we are talking with Josh Skigala. He is actually one of my first international talks. Um, He is based in Berlin. He is from Australia. He has been involved in crypto since about, I think, 2010, if my memory serves correctly. And currently, his big project is a asset-backed stablecoin. So, uh, we'll dig into this a little bit more, but hope you all enjoy. Thanks. Record. There we go. Hello, Josh. Good to try this again. Hey. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. Um, I forget who it was. I think it was George on your team who reached out, I think, if that... Yep, probably, yeah. yep. Yep, he's yeah, been okay. uh, he's been uh, getting in contact with a few podcasts and uh, and they've been contacting us and okay. yeah, just to sort of as as our projects heading out of stealth mode, we're, we're um, you know just trying to let people know what what we're doing and yeah. what we're all about. Well, let's maybe start there. So maybe Josh, just give us a little bit about you know who you are, what you do, how you got into crypto, wealth management, investing, all that sort of stuff, and then we can just uh, go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've always had a fascination with uh, with private money, like bearer based assets for money, okay. um, and it kind of it kind of happened after after nine eleven. Really, um, it made me look more into money and what money is. Uh, I didn't just buy the whole uh, religious nutcases angle. Yeah. I, I was I just sort of thought there, there's got to be more. What's the money? Follow the money and. And that path sort of led me to under, trying to understand fractional reserve banking and and gold and silver and all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And from there, I, I started collecting a lot of gold and silver, and um, yeah. and I also started uh, I, I started the world's first swap website where people could swap clothes rather than buying and selling. Um, and and then I, I wanted to find a, a digital currency. Uh, because swapping is a terrible mechanism for trade, yeah, yeah. Uh, because of whole a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> so liquidity is terrible. And yeah. So, uh, so I started looking for some sort of digital, you know, credit mechanism, and it didn't exist. Bitcoin didn't exist, and um, but I did find what the cypherpunks were working on um, through their mailing list and trying to solve that problem. And uh, it was unsolvable at the time, which uh, the unsolvable problem was the double spend problem, meaning a digital item. When I send you an MP3, you don't know, have I kept that MP3? (laughs) Did I make a copy of it? Uh, So the the problem really was how do you get a digital scarce good? How do you get a digital item that can't be copied? And uh, and all I could do is send it and the receiver knows and is, is guaranteed that I don't have it anymore. Yep. And that's uh, universally known as the double spend problem, and um, and it was solved by Satoshi. So, but yeah, at the time it it wasn't solved, and I thought it was unsolvable. I, I 
I had a crack at it, of course, nowhere near could it, you know, I didn't have anywhere near the expertise, but I was like racking, how can you do it? Maybe you have a central, and it was always, it always led back to having a central server or a bunch of central servers. But um, uh, anyway, I forgot about the idea and just got on with my life. And then in 2010, um, yeah, Satoshi's white paper came across my table because I, you know, made sure I, I kept up with what, what was going on there and and yeah sure enough um they, they cracked the nut there with that one so i then uh, dove headfirst into that and have been uh, living the crypto life ever since yeah yeah that's incredible so what i guess what was it about 9 11 that you know made you look at money rather than like i don't know terrorism or government overreach or any, any name any of the other yeah. come from that but what what was <laughs> i guess about what pointed you in the direction of money and like what kept you on that journey for so long i i don't know like i it just sort of there, there was a you know obviously there's a whole bunch of conspiracy theories flying around the whole thing and and you know you, you obviously you dive into that and you look into that but there was also one thing that was really weird is that this gold and silver got pulled out of building seven like a few weeks before that. And and that made me think, what was that all about? And, and then I was like just into central banking and I I can't remember all the details, but uh, the the main thing was that with everything, every crime, every crime, what you do, you follow the money, you know, it's not just, it's not just, about some uh, religious nuts in caves it's it's also about well who makes money from this who yeah. makes money why why was there put options uh, uh not put options sorry call uh, call options put on um uh, american airlines uh just before it happened as well and and so again there's these questions around these giant uh Money make, <laughs> making yeah. coincidences yeah. Uh, that happened, and and that just sparked my interest. And of course, sure. delved. And when you when you go rabbit delving into these rabbit holes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you never come out. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I did. So I'm a little bit younger than you, but I just got out of high school when the great financial crisis happened and admittedly was focused on way different things than central banks and fiat money systems and all that. But over time, it you know, uh, through my financial services career, obviously learned a lot about it. And I definitely have done like yeah. rabbit hole thing on central banking. And it is kind of fascinating when you dig into that history and realize that, you know, for better or for worse, they've been around in and after almost every major financial calamity of the last, like, what, 120 years or so, 130 years, right? Um, mm. Great Depression yeah. to current, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah, these, these are these boom and bust cycles, you know, yeah. these boom and bust cycles of what Austrian economists constantly talk about. But I, I think they're kind of inevitable, and we see that in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's a perfect sort of free market, uh, uh, true anarchic currency, yeah. where it still has boom and bust cycles. You know, that it has the 
the bear market and the bull market as people speculate in and and then as people overbuy it and then it drops back down and um and as a currency it's still not the best um even though i i love you know bitcoin was my first love and everything this is why i'm really focused now on on really solving the stablecoin problem um yeah. uh, having a true decentralized stablecoin is i think probably one of the most important uh pivots in the crypto space right now because cbdc's are coming and they're an absolute nightmare if anybody's looked into them in terms of what our forefathers died for in wars uh they didn't die for mass surveillance and uh and control over your freedoms they died for actually preserving the freedoms so for me it's a very important move to figure out a an alternative to cbdc's or an exit door to say look if you guys are going to screw up these cbdc's there's an exit door over here that i can take and of course that exit door is crypto in general yeah but crypto in general has to be uh more functional uh it has to be usable and it has to be trustworthy in terms of the fact that it's it's architected in a way that isn't going to just collapse in value and so things like terra luna have really stepped uh uh that back because everyone thinks of that um yep. and now even usdc which everyone and I've been warning about USDC for years I, it's not actually USDC I was warning I was warning about tether or centralized stablecoins in general yeah. because what we've done is taken the idea of central banking which came from uh the idea where well I I have these gold I have these silver coins in my pocket they're way too heavy uh to carry around everywhere so I'm going to deliver them and into a vaulting facility and they're going to give me a certificate uh for for that um a a a receipt yep and yep. instead of before i before i go to the market generally okay i'm going to go and get, pick up some gold some silver and and then go to the market and buy it. but after a while very quickly people realize well let's just use the certificates and that they 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 therein lies the paper money thing but very quickly after that the voting facilities realize well not everybody's going to come and pick up their silver or gold at the same time so let's just write receipts for silver that doesn't exist and charge interest for it and so there therein lies the birth of fractional reserve banking meaning the banks have a fraction of what is out there uh, as as debts uh, on reserve and so um from from that if if we then invent bitcoin and say hey we now got bearer based assets you can hold your private keys you know exactly how much you've got and we've turned a full circle again to say hey um uh we now have centralized stable coins yeah using yeah. blockchain technology but really these banks can rehypothecate so you've got multiple uh, really bad points with these centralized stable coins the company issuing the stablecoin can go broke or play play bad you know silly games with uh, with reserves uh, they can be intransparent which they are um unauditable even if they're auditable the bank is unauditable uh, in terms yeah. of uh, what they're doing it's just too complex even most banks don't know where they sit in terms of liabilities that's why they go broke all of a sudden yeah we're uh, looking through that right now <laughs>
right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, uh, it, you know, we, 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 you have to trust the bank where the, the, the money's sitting and that, that currency as well is being speculated with. So on this side, you've got USDC being speculated in the crypto uh, la-la land. And then you've got um, the, the underlying backing asset speculating in the old school uh, CFI la-la land. What could go wrong? Is is my my call to action really? You know, obviously everything, yeah. and so uh, it's about building now a decentralized. But when people hear decentralized stablecoins, they think Luna. But there's a really good middle ground, and that's a way for people to lock up assets into smart contracts individually, so everybody can take a smart contract that they own. They it's like a vault, and they have the private key. Nobody else has a private key. No one can speculate. Silicon Valley Bank doesn't have access to it. Celsius doesn't have access to it. BlockFi doesn't. You do. And you open up that vault, you put in collateral, you lock it, and it's and you cannot unlock it again. Well, uh, well, first you lock it, and then you issue yourself debt. And, uh, and now you've got liquidity. You can actually go and spend these stable coins. But... Uh, to to get the collateral out, which is more than what you've borrowed, you need to pay back the debt and burn it before you can unlock yeah. it again. So the, 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 this is just beautiful. It's a beautiful mechanism because you're literally building a type of gold standard because a gold standard had governments that uh, that had gold as reserve um, backing every bit of paper. So you you had... A kind of uh, you know you you had backing to the paper, whereas now what you do is you take out the centralized aspect and you back these fiat pegged stablecoins, but with rare assets like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or tokenized gold, even. So um, so there's there's really interesting things that we're building to build out a fully decentralized stablecoin protocol um, because that already exists with Maker. Maker, I was the very first one, but uh, it was the very first one. And so we're, we're really focused on building the next gen version of that now. Gotcha. I mean, you you, you laid out a lot there for sure. Um, where, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good. Where, like, you know, Bitcoin, you know, is the OG, you know, holds a, you know, special place in pretty much everyone's heart. It, if I if I heard you correctly, it sounds like the biggest challenge that you see with Bitcoin, as opposed to being like the you know decentralized currency of the world, is volatility. Am I getting that right? It's just not a great facilitator. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, look, I I love it. I can handle with it. I've worked with it since two thousand and ten. So I I'm used to the volatility. I I, yeah. I enjoy it and. I've got enough uh, gain from it that volatility doesn't hurt me anymore. But anybody getting new into Bitcoin yeah. can't handle that. If you if you are a stockist that's stocking televisions, that you're selling televisions, and uh, you've just sold some for some Bitcoin, first of all, you need to figure out the volatility on that day. Figure out what what is it worth right now. That's okay. Software can do that. But then um, then you need to hedge. Uh, the volatility, so you need to then open short positions uh, while you're holding that long position mm-hmm. um, uh, on an exchange. That that also has an interest attached to it. So there, you're losing profit. Uh, there's all sorts of problems with it. So yeah. people are used to dealing with 
with fiat uh, as well. And that's the other thing is getting that mindset of, okay, well, I know how much whiskey costs in dollars. That I know how much is a good deal. What's a bad deal? Okay, I'm, you know, but trying to switch an entire society over to using SAT, yeah, uh, it's going to be tough. I I totally agree with that. Um, I I guess I wonder over time if the volatility around Bitcoin. I mean, this is probably decades out. If the volatility will be less enough that it, you know isn't a huge problem in terms of the volatility anymore but i do see and agree with the point that like if you're new to it and trying to on-ramp into crypto right now like you know if you on-ramped uh, this at the beginning of this year you'd be feeling pretty good but you know if you on-ramped at the end of 21 you wouldn't be feeling so good so um and sadly that's when most people on-ramp because yeah. it's the hype train that's when the media starts talking about it that's when uh, Andrew, uh, no, what's his name? Jim Cramer, whatever. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Money guy. Started, <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. Um, I don't know if you're on a crypto Twitter at all, but the every time Kramer makes a call, the internet is so great about surfacing, you know, his horrible advice from like a month ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. It's truly the reverse oracle, isn't it? Well, it's I think like, there's actually... A month before... I'm pretty sure there's actually an ETF that is called the inverse Kramer and it just takes his trades and his timing and just does the exact opposite. So <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, I love it. Yeah, that's that's a tough spot to sit in for sure. <laughs> but um well, so so if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like your idea is like obviously you don't want to see five stable coin for all the you know totalitarian reasons associated with them. Um but you know certain parts of crypto are just too volatile so your idea is kind of essentially just leverage hard assets and it sounds like they can be digital or physical to essentially create yeah. a stabilized you know medium of exchange does i guess particularly on the physical side like if you were to do that that certainly opens up an amount of risk as it relates to storage of whatever asset and security and insurance and all that sort of stuff, right? How do you how do you yeah. think about all of that? Yeah, so uh, one of one of the projects that I launched in 2015 was the very first Bitcoin physical gold exchange, um, uh, order book exchange. So it it allowed. Uh, it still it still exists. It's called Voltoro, uh, Volt okay. as in gold vault, and then Oro for Spanish for gold. Yeah, Voltoro.com. And and basically, the good thing with gold is that unlike a bank account, which can only be insured to two hundred fifty k, which is an okay, it's a decent chunk of money for the normal person, but for a yep. business or someone that's worked very hard in their life, it's nothing. Yeah, and so and and through through inflation, it becomes less and less as well. For sure, um, yeah. Whereas gold, yeah. So so gold is a physical good, right? So you can insure it to however much you have in the vault. Okay. And if you and there's, you know, B- Bitcoin has what uh, thirteen, fourteen, what is it? How many years now? Uh, years of of scams. <laughs> you know, yeah. but gold has five thousand years of scams. Yeah. And so we we know the attack vectors that scammers use. We know the scams by now. And so there's very good protocols in place in the gold industry 
That's not to say it's a safe haven out of scams. There's still, you need to keep, uh, you know, you need to know them. But generally, there's pretty good industry standards. So you want to go with a top tier bolting facility. You want to go with uh, LBMA approved Boolean dealers. Uh, this is London Boolean Market Association. Uh, they're a self-regulatory body. body. Um, you you want to go with a with a voting facility that's audited by one of the large auditors, whether it be KPMG or or BDO or something like that. You want to go to a voting facility that's fully insured by Lloyd's or, or a large insurer, Helvetia or something like that. So the, these and because these insurance companies won't insure unless a large uh, auditor comes in. Uh, the large yeah. auditor won't audit unless it's truly transparent. And a, and a, and then you can also choose a really a good top tier voting facility. Uh, and every com- most countries have got them. Now, the good thing about um, gold as well is that if you look, if you use one t- one company and you tokenize that gold, uh, you you still have the problems of like tether or or USDC, right? You could it's a centralized unit. If that if that actor breaks, then it could break the network a little bit because it could. Could be bad, but so the plan is to have as many vaulting facilities as possible on board and tokenize oh, their bullion. Okay. Yeah, decentralize it as to the best because of your ability. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and so we give the tools and the know-how because we've worked with the gold industry for so long. Uh, we understand them very well uh, through Voltoro through that company. And what you basically want to do is de- is decentralize that risk. So risk starts to get priced. So if there's any murmurs of Perth Mint being in fractional reserve, yeah. um, that will reflect in its price um, yeah. because the market is extremely astute in finding dodgy stuff um, mm-hmm. if, you, uh, if you incentivize it. So there's also, incent- uh, you know, the goal is to also have incentivization pools where if you can prove that one of the uh, collateral types is breaking uh, or is going fractional reserve, one of the centralized uh, collateral mm-hmm. types, then you get, and you've, you, you prove to be right, then, then that smart contract will release the funds to you as a, as a, as a bounty. Oh, okay. But there's all sorts of stuff that you can do to incentivize the market to really find bad actors. Right now, it's the other way around. The, 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 the entire system is rigged to, hide everything and there's no incentives in place the incentive is not to show any corruption because the whole system will collapse if you do find it yeah yeah no (laughs) no one's telling you what they got that's for sure um yeah interesting okay so 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 tell me about how this has manifested itself as project you mentioned earlier that you're coming out of uh your stealth mode where and we're talking about the standard i assume right yeah yeah, yeah. The standard. Yeah. yeah. So, so where where are you guys right now? What are you trying to do with it? What's you know what's on the roadmap? Yeah. Um, well, we uh, we've been basically in R and D for a long time because I I want to you know it's called the standard for a reason, and that's we want to become the standard um, in stable coins, and to do that. There also needs to be cross-chain compatibility. There needs to be all sorts of stuff that happens. Um, and uh, we're also doing some engineering around the idea of bridges, uh, bridging cross-chains, um, mm-hmm. and how to remove that risk 
uh, bridges because I see that as one of the largest risks in this whole crypto industry as well is is these bridges because they're such large honeypots of, of liquidity. Uh, so, yeah, people um, basically target the bridge and, you know, God forbid type thing. Yeah, because these bridges hold so much money in them. Uh, for those that don't know that are listening, um, a bridge is, let, let's say you've got one blockchain over here, which is Ethereum, and then you've got, I don't know, Polkadot or some yeah. other over here. What a bridge does is say, okay, the native Ethereum token over on ETH, well, people want to trade it on on Polygon, uh, on, on yeah, uh, Polkadot. Yeah. And so what they'll do is they'll send it to a bridge. The bridge will lock up that Ethereum and issue a... Um, a wrapped ETH on Polygon. And now that wrapped ETH is sitting there and this is locked up until someone takes a wrapped ETH and sends it back to that bridge and unlocks the original one and burns the wrapped, that, that wrapped one gets burnt and the original one gets released back into the, onto the ETH chain. So, so meanwhile, what happens is a lot of people jump over and that bridge gets bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and it can be, if it's, if it's vulnerable, it can be attacked. And now, yeah. I mean, the, the good thing with, the good thing with any crypto is, is it's, it's what's called anti-fragile, so, and that just basically means every time there's an attack, the the system, well, the the, the network learns what that attack was and 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 patches it so it won't yeah. happen again. So yeah, it, it does become stronger and stronger over time. So these bridges sure. will become yeah. better, but right now, yeah. so as it relates to the standard, you want to be able to transact physical and digital assets across multi-chains. Bridges being a big part of that. What what else are you guys focused on? We're, we're focused on the whole idea of liquidations because if, so how, you know, I, I sort of mentioned before, if you, if you lock up 10,000 bucks and you take out a loan from yourself, so let's say you lock up 10,000 and you, you borrow 5,000 from yourself, by mm-hmm. the way, it's, it's 0% interest because we don't want the base level of money to have, have usury or, or interest attached to it. Sure. I think it's very important. Not to, because this is uh, this is what happens currently. Is that all money is dead uh, in the system right now yeah. in the fiat yeah. system? <laughs> That's what my uh, my college textbook said. Money is created through debt. And uh, as I came back as an adult and thought about that, I was like, that seems kind of circular. Um, so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and while while. The thing is, there's nothing for me. There's nothing wrong with interest as uh, per se. If I lend you money, I, I get what's called a um, you know opportunity cost to that because I I could be building a house or I could be doing something. I yeah. could be making it earn money for me, but instead I've lent it to you. So there's not a problem. I don't see a moral a moral issue against lending money and asking for interest. Where I do see a moral problem is if I'm a central bank. I'm issuing debt out of nowhere and yeah. now asking interest from it. Yeah. That doesn't sit right. I, I think there's a there's a real fundamental corruption in that thinking uh, that basically it creates a musical chair scenario where there's just not enough chairs to sit on when the music stops. And that's where yeah. you get a whole lot of people really suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always yeah. so unfortunately the same group of people. It's always disenfranchised, the not connected, the not wealthy. You know, same same story. Yeah, yeah, same story every time. And and so yeah, where the standard, what you'll be able to do is lock up funds and then issue yourself debt at zero percent interest with no time limit to pay it back. 
the thing is you are incentivized to pay it back at some stage because there's more uh, value locked in those vaults, in those smart vaults, than you've borrowed, right? There's, uh, you know, uh, let's say you borrow 80% of that value, uh, that's and the cutoff is at 85. But the, the, what can happen is if the collateral drops in value, so let's say you're in a bear market, you've borrowed, you know, 80% uh, and and it drops, <laughs> the value drops. Now, we we the whole point is to mathematically have more value locked in the network than there is debt issued. Yeah, if that makes sense. So yeah, there's there's yeah. more value locked up than stable coins floating around. Yeah. And well, now, yeah. if if the yeah. Oh no no excuse me go ahead. So so if if the value if that we're in a huge bear market and these vaults start dropping in value. And one vault has issued, let's say, eight thousand bucks worth of debt, and there's ten thousand bucks uh, locked in that vault. And now that starts heading towards eight thousand dollars worth of value now because the, the the assets are going down in value. Then there's a point where it reaches where it has to liquidate that, and we need to take um, the stablecoin off the market, burn them, and and get rid of the, that vault um, because you want to take. Stable coins off the market uh, when that happens, to to make sure that there's always less stable coins than there is value. Locked. Yeah. So basically, it, correct me if I'm wrong here. It sounds like the comparison to the centralized system that we have now is more or less what debt to GDP, where like the United States or any other country is, you know, they have more debt than what they bring in essentially so your whole the whole system is meant to just avoid that situation entirely the whole system is is uh, one formula more value locked in a in in the network than there is uh currency mm-hmm. uh, value of currency so the, if you take all the currency that's that's been minted in terms of stable coins let's say it's a billion dollars then yeah. it has to be 1.5 billion or 1.3 billion, 1.25 actually, uh, locked up in the network to, to back that. And, and what this does is that it means that people will trust that currency won't just collapse because there's so much value locked in there because anyone can take that value and get out more value uh, in these yeah. locked up vaults. And. And you're trying to enforce that basically through a DAO, smart contracts, just like uh, through maths. Yeah, like to uh, what's the word I want to say? Just be very thoughtful about the construction of, you know, if I do this, then this happens type scenario. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, the best regulate, you know, all these people talk about regulation and we need more regulation and regulate banks. And the thing is, Sam Bankman Freed, um, he was already working under a whole lot of regulations and they didn't work. He still scammed the hell out of us. If, if we want a scammer out there, uh, if someone wants to scam, they will. It doesn't matter what regulations are there. They're willing to go to prison for that. So I find the best regulation, and this goes all the way back to the cypherpunk sort of creed, is the best regulation is mathematics. Because what are regulation? What does regulation mean? It means rules. Yeah. So how do you build these rules into the system so that the system is is rigid enough to say 
No, if this, then that happens. You yeah. knew that beforehand. Yeah. that That's the contract you signed. Yeah. And uh, this is all about, you know, the code, code is law sort of thing as well, which, yes, look, there's it's not a black and white thing. There's also laws that people need to abide by and, and such. Uh, yes. But, I mean, in my per- in my perfect mind, you know, code is law and, and that's, that's the thing. And as, as, as much as we can head towards that, I think the better we are because humans are fallible. They'll be corrupted. For sure. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I did a podcast earlier today too. And we were talking about how crazy it is that like, at least in the United States and probably, I mean, globally really, um, that like we have now devolved to this point where everyone is taking their cues on the, you know, the global economy from a handful of central bankers and what will happen trying to interpret what they say, how they say it, you know, is this dovish, is this hawkish, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's just an an incredibly weird place to be, you know, like it, it is total control in the hands of the smallest amount of people who can be, like you were saying, just corrupted through short-term gains of any, or pressures of any type, like, People could be going through a divorce or maybe they have a bunch of debt or whatever. And that's how we're supposed to run the world. It does seem really strange. Mm, yeah, it, it does. And the thing is, it's kind of this hive mind thing that happens. And, uh, you know, we, we specific, you can see it in the, in the last three years with the pandemic is that once people get into a fear state, um, it just is run away and, and one narrative can just, uh, you know, yeah. whatever you believed in the last two years, one thing we can admit is that we kind of overreacted a little in, in certain ways. <laughs> you know, like, nah. uh, so, nah. <laughs> so uh, you know, when you're in hindsight, you can go back and go, oh, wow. and you can see this in the past. And, and there's been atrocious things that have happened where people have just gone, well, not everyone can't be wrong, you know, and so, there's this sort of hive mind problem that happens where uh, if if everyone's headed and listening to one group, which is these central bankers, and they say, uh, we have to whatever, whatever the metric is, and and then the market goes, that's what that means. And they, they all sort of pile into one, one direction. So yep. what, where I'm going with this is we have, for instance, Bitcoin, it's always been this thing like, Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation. So actually inflation is good for Bitcoin because it means that Bitcoin is saving you and people will head into Bitcoin to get away from inflation. Now, what's happened? Well, uh, the, the recently when they, the inflation numbers came out, the last time, uh, like a few weeks ago, people were like happy that the inflation numbers came, came not as high as they predicted. Yeah. And and so the market actually rallied on that news, and so did Bitcoin. And it's funny now that Bitcoin's rallying towards the news of that rather than rallying towards the news of hey, there's inflation. Um, it's a it, like you said, it's a weird yeah. place to be. It, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I think you what you said earlier about people just being human, and we are inherently you know wired for short term sort of stimuli. Like we don't rationalize long term well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Bitcoin do, you know, the inflation trade. We've seen it do the growth trade, like high interest rates, low interest rates, based on how people feel about it. It 
you know, it's going up or down, um, which, which is kind of funny. <laughs> like, it's a little yeah. chaotic. Um, I did want to ask, uh, so you're working on this essentially like a private stable coin idea or well, private in the sense that it's not created by a government. Um, hmm. What, I mean, if you were sitting across from, you know, global central bankers, what would they be poking a hole at, uh, you know, the idea of a private stable coin, like, or a non-governmental stable coin, I guess, like what, what is the hesitation from your perspective? What's there? What? Oh, what is, what is the general hesitation from current, you know, central bankers towards a non-governmental stable coin? Like what would they push back against you? Look, governments love to, the power of printing their own debt because it means um, that generally that's where inflation comes from, right? Uh, is that you, you, you print more. And, and it, inflation is this interesting thing where it's always the people that, that last get to it. The people that first get access to fresh money have the full purchasing power of that money. It mm-hmm. takes a while for that inf- uh, to trickle down into the economy and and the inflation to sort of catch up to the new printing. So you don't, as a government, you don't want to have a bearer-based, asset-based money where, uh, uh, and we touched on this before, money is debt, right? Every dollar that you've got, if you've got 10 bucks in your pocket, somebody owes 10 bucks to the bank uh, with interest. And there's more mm-hmm. interest that doesn't exist. Um, if you, um, if you, if you take that away, you take out a whole bunch of ways to, to basically, uh, promise things that you can't afford. <laughs> the politicians love it because, yeah, uh, you can promise bridges and schools without more tax because taxes are very unpopular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't vote for you. But if you uh, just say, if you just promise a new uh, sports stadium and schools and roads and bridges and then print that money out of nowhere and tax the savers, then, hey, that's fine. That's cool. I don't really understand it. But you see that, wow, they, they did this promise by building this bridge. Awesome. Uh, but you, don't, you only feel the, on, you know, we saw it in the pandemic as well. Uh, the promises were all these stimmy checks. And now we're seeing two years later, this huge inflation coming in where now there's trillions now slushing around this economy that's fresh. Yeah. And, uh, and that inflation is, yeah. Of course, I, you know, they'll blame everything else under the sun. Yeah. Uh, You know, greedy companies, greedy oil companies and such, Mm -hmm. but really they're just dealing with, no, that the value of this paper is less. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it kind of sounds like it's almost just a thing of inertia and status quo and power. And from your perspective, that's that's why they hold yeah, on. Um, that people, governments, and and central banks they they want the power to control money and and hold money. If if they um, if they lose that, they lose everything. And this is why Satoshi stayed private. This is why he stayed anonymous. He knew how dangerous it was. Yeah, um, to go up against these. Um, but the thing is, now Bitcoin is already out. Private money's out. There's hundreds of different cryptocurrencies out there. Um, the idea of bearer-based assets. The you know before Bitcoin, 
people tried to make private money. We had uh, we had Liberty yeah. Dollar. We had a whole bunch of different private monies. They all got taken down in 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 big grand uh, ways and arrested and jailed and, and because they don't like competition. They don't like having that competition. So, um, you know, sitting across from a central banker, they would say, well, you know, you can try, but it's it's crap because of this, that, and the other, and you can't pay taxes with it, and you can't. Um, but at the end of the day, what, we're just a bunch of engineers that are going to publish a bunch of smart contracts um, online, and whether people choose to use it or not, um, is is their thing uh, where we don't you know we don't control anything once it's done it's just some software that's that's sitting on a blockchain yeah and um, and it could fail you know it could well fail the thing is I, I like to look at the, the the lessons from history especially economic history because economics is more of an art than a science uh, there's a lot of there's just so many moving parts it's like the weather you know um, that it's it's very hard to uh, perfectly predict um, uh, yeah. what will happen with a certain uh, thing. So all we can do is look back and throughout history and say, okay, we know that backing money has been the best way to go uh, in terms of stability, uh, like backing it by gold. It's been very stable and good. Where hasn't it been good? Well, it's been bad when it's been centralized by government and the government starts issuing more debt than they have gold or um, uh, actually there was a problem with the gold back. Uh, and a lot of people don't know this. A lot of gold bugs that I talk to, they, 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 they dream of the moment that we can have a gold standard again. But there's a problem with the gold standard because basically you're manipulating the price of gold now. You're forcing gold to have a stable, to have a $1 value. Mm-hmm. And what, what then happens is that new mines stop being found because they're like, well, I'm not going to invest all this money if my gold is only going to stay at a dollar and yeah. there's no speculative like upside to that. So, yeah. uh, you know, then, then I'm going to stop exploring and, and finding new gold. Yeah, you basically... Oh, I was just going to say you basically create a currency peg and currency pegs tend to always fail. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. And so really what you want to do is look at those lessons and go, okay, what can we learn from that? Uh, And what can we learn also from the new experiments? Because the new experiments have been just that experiment. So things like Terra Luna and and Waves and uh, BitShares and all of these other uh, algorithmic stablecoins, we can say, why did they fail? Well, they failed because they tried to back their currency with fluff, with an algorithm. doesn't work. Okay, great. We've learned that now. Well, what, what, what we can do is lock assets that do have actual value uh, that people find valuable and, and issue half of that value as something stable. Okay. Yeah. This looks good. Yeah. Where, where do you guys stand currently? Like, uh, are, are you taking gold and silver or? You know, have you set up a digital side of the business? Like, is it out there? Can people use it? Or where where does that sit? So we we launched the first um, stablecoin called SEO. And right now, yeah, we launched it in a way to build what we call a stability pool. Um, you've just frozen, Ben. I'm yeah, sure yeah. I, mean, I, I can hear you. We're going to catch up here in a sec. So there Okay, we go. cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, 
Yeah, so we've, uh, we're building these stability pools for the first uh, SRO. It's like a launch mechanism. So what we're doing is selling, uh, well, not selling, but we've built a smart contract where people put in ETH and they can issue themselves the first SRO under the value of a euro. So it's not, it's not a stable coin yet. It's, it's 80 cents. And the more liquidity that comes in in terms of ETH and USDC, um, the, the less that discount becomes. So the discount then becomes 85 cents, 88 cents, 80, you know, all the way up to 90, 91, 95, 99, and then one euro. And yeah. as soon as it hits that one euro, then it becomes a stable coin. And in that meantime, what they can do is they can sell that stable coin back to us with some USDC for these liquidity pools. Now, this sounds very complex, but it's uh, it's basically what a lot of yield farmers do. So they they buy a bond, and that bond pays back in the in the membership and governance token of the of the protocol. Okay. Um, and yeah, and so so there's it's just that's that's available right now. So if you're like a DeFi uh, kind of person out there, um, you you might be interested in that. That's going to go for another month. Um, yeah. And then we're launching the the smart vaults, and there's some really cool stuff that we're building with the smart vaults. So. If you have a locked up Ethereum um, and you've issued yourself debt at 0% and you think, oh, wow, uh, I think Chainlink's going to really moon like in the next because they're coming out with so-and-so. What you can do is, yeah, you can't withdraw that, that Ethereum until you pay back that debt. But what you can do is trade that locked collateral for another asset so uh, for the same value. So you can trade that to Link or you can trade it to tokenize gold if we're in a bear market. Uh, because we also know, like, there's no point diversifying from Bitcoin to Ethereum in a bear market because every crypto just does the same yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, there's not that much diversification in in crypto. So uh, to go across into a tokenized gold will be really good in that sense. Um, uh, the the tokenized gold thing won't be uh, released on the very first version. Uh, yeah. We're aiming towards like April April 27th for the smart vaults. Um, and uh, oh, and by the way, the other really cool thing that we're working on is uh, the whole zero knowledge proof side of, of Ethereum scaling. So uh, we will be uh, launching this on the layer twos of Ethereum uh, called the, the zero knowledge proofs, which are a really great step towards not only privacy, but speed, agility, uh, and cost on, on the Ethereum network. So it's really uh it's it's really fantastic technology and it's uh being released on the 27th of march of this month in uh well in a few days on on the polygon network so there's okay. some really really cool stuff happening on the ethereum chain um this month and then we're launching we're going to be the one of the first protocols on the zk polygon evm okay uh, which is really interesting yeah yeah and um and then the other thing which is really cool is let's say you've lend yourself a whole lot of debt and then you lose your job and you're like, man, I've got like 10 grand locked in there. I, I issue myself five grand and I bought this car and I need to, I need to release some of that liquidity. What you can do is you can, every smart vault is represented by an NFT as mm -hmm. a key. So this is where NFTs, we're moving NFTs away from art and using it more as DeFi. So uh, every smart vault has an NFT, and you can actually sell your debt, sell your collateralized debt position as an NFT. So now we can start to sell debt uh, like the traditional finance space in DeFi using NFT. So I, I think this is a really big, I think this is probably one of the biggest use cases for NFTs um, in the future. 
and we're 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 really pioneering this stuff now. So it's um it's it's really really fascinating, and I, I'm I'm just super excited about it because we're taking some of the really cool ideas of of old school finance and bringing it into the DeFi space. Okay, interesting. What uh, I. I mean, up until we spoke and I did some Googling today, I didn't really know too much, obviously, about you or the standard. What has been the feedback from just the general community on the project? And, you know, what do, what do people think? Um, people love it. Like they, they just can't wait to get their, their teeth into it. And, and actually, uh, they're chomping at the bit to try and test this out. And you know, we, we will be in testing phase um, as of, uh, like end of March, like start of April, we'll be testing. So if you do want to become a tester and and check this out, it'll all be testnet coins. Um, but that that'll be available to you uh, to test out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's the the major complaint is, can you guys move a bit quicker? <laughs> the, the the problem, you know, the problem really is is that the old uh, meme of move fast and break things in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It's really something that you can't do in block blockchain. You know, it just it, there's too much at stake um, with if if pe- especially with smart contracts that hold value that lock up assets. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot have them breaking. They have to be tested, tested, and tested some more. Yeah, and so yeah, it's and it's and it's hard to find good engineers as well. You know, this is okay. uh, getting easier now that Facebook and Amazon have fired everyone, but yeah, um, it's still. <laughs> It's still hard, yeah. Yeah. How many total engineers do you guys have on uh, the project, like roughly? Uh, yeah. Well, we had three um, working working hard, and now it's sort of part time. Uh, a few, but it's mainly one now. Uh, we're down yeah. to sort of one because the bear market really stopped us from being able to pay uh, too many people. It was uh, you know killing the runway yeah. as the bear market was getting lower and lower. And funnily enough, by having just uh, just a few people was way quicker and more efficient than having a big team. Uh, we, we were a team of 21 people before Christmas and uh, we've slimmed the team down by half and everything's moving a lot quicker now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's interesting so, how that happens. So it's not like a fully open source type thing that everyone can contribute to? Do you have design? It will be. It way? will be. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it will be. It's just... Uh, right in the beginning, we we have kept it. You know, the, it's really this is sort of an interesting thing for me uh, as a journey because we've run a centralized exchange uh, mm-hmm. since 2015 in crypto, and crypto is very slippery, very hackable, very. So you have to be extremely private and cautious as an exchange. Uh, how you do and we've never been hacked you know we've been one of these exchange Voltoro has never been hacked so it's one of those things where uh the culture within the team that then split off to build the standard uh was like very like you know closed and and don't give any secrets out and to try to change that culture to more of an open one it's been a it's been a journey um but but it's getting there and it it will be open source it has to be there's, uh, you know, it's just while we're building it, uh, we want to uh, do all the R and D because we don't want someone to come along, take all of our R and D, and then clone it, uh, yeah. fork it, and and just do it yeah. themselves. 
yeah. on, on somewhere else. So it's kind of more of a protection of the team's hard work and R&D. Yeah. And as soon as we launch, it's all open source and more people can contribute. And okay. uh, hopefully we'll have, uh, un, you know, tens of uh, 20s, 30s yeah. people, you know, working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, like, do you see other applications for the technology that you've built outside of just, you know, locking up assets? Um, have you thought about stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, so especially the the bridging stuff that we're um, conceptualizing and doing some R&D on, like, it's basically what we're working on is if you lock up assets, let's say on Polygon, let's say you lock up a whole bunch of ETH um, in in that layer two, rather than minting SEURO or SUSD or SRUBLE, you know, whatever you, you want to mint, uh, and then bridging it, you would you would lock up those assets and then mint on the chain that you want it already on. So we're calling this, um, uh, it, it's the, uh, what was it? It was uh, like blockchain entanglement, where yeah. you know it, it comes from like entanglement theory, where where two uh, uh, electrons will switch from positive to negative at the same time, okay, um, it, uh, at a distance. Uh, it's a weird, spooky thing that happens, but we're we're looking at how to do that. And there's some technology that's, that we're working on. Uh, it's just there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to make sure it works with race conditions. And okay. such, but yeah, um, but that that's really interesting. Uh, the other thing is obviously the whole NFTs, dynamic NFTs within DeFi. I think it's something that we're really pioneering, and I, I think it's the future. I mean, imagine in two thousand eight. I've said this before. Uh, is that two thousand eight was pretty much the same thing? People were locking up, banks were locking up uh, debt into these collateralized debt positions. Yep. And then selling them, splitting them up, uh, mixing them with other ones, yeah. Yeah, re-rating yeah. them, AAA, splitting them up, you know. And then, then you bought something that gave you a yield. You didn't know what was in there. You didn't yeah. know if it would last. Now, imagine, though, if those CDPs were NFTs, you could run some software to actually test exactly and see what's in there Yeah, uh, rather than... Uh, rather than trusting some, uh, you know, uh, guy, uh, you know, crazy autistic drummer on, yeah. the, on the short, the big short, <laughs> that, uh, that, that Michael, managed to look through uh, all that paperwork. Yeah, Michael Burry. Um, Michael Burry, you know, you'd, yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone could then have that superpower to look into those CDPs with with NFTs. So I think NFTs will play a huge role in in DeFi in the future. So what do with that example specifically, going back to Celsius, well, I don't know what, getting close, I guess, to a year ago. Um, how, how how does the technology that you're building kind of factor in with like just proof of reserves technology that's already out there? You know, like how, what what is, I guess, the key difference there? Yeah, so... The, the issue with proof of reserves, and I actually uh, invented a proof of reserve system called Glassbooks Protocol for centralized uh, exchanges back in 2014. And, um, and the, problem, the problem with it is that you can, an exchange can have a proof of reserve. They mm. can say, look, here's the blockchain. Here's our addresses. This is how much Bitcoin we've got. And, and you can show that. But it cannot show 
proof of liability. So a human can, you know, Celsius can take all that Bitcoin and write a, a human contract with someone saying, lend me money for that collateral. Yeah, it's off chain. It's nothing. So yeah, we can prove. Yeah, we've got ten thousand Bitcoin here, but actually, I've lent it all out to someone on a contract, paper contract that you don't know about. Yeah, and so, so this is the beautiful thing with DeFi is again, it's regulated by Matt. We you you cannot do anything to this smart contract. If individuals have locked up, there's hundreds of individuals have locked up assets. They're all got their own thing. Going, they can trade those assets within that, or they can sell the NFT to somebody else. So they can sell that debt to you, and now you can basically pay off that debt and take out the collateral, yeah, uh, or swap the debt or do other stuff because now you you are in control of that that collateralized debt position. But um, really, it's about it's about taking away the idea of being able to sign a contract to, um, you know. Give someone a liability. I have a liability based on something that's contractually based because no one's going to sign that if they don't have the private key. And uh, now I actually yeah. sell you the private key, and you've either got it or you don't. Yeah, interesting. So I've been trying to wrap my head a little bit around uh, just the idea of banking yourself. So correct me if I'm wrong in laying this out, but. Uh, with your technology, I could bring 10,000 ETH, lock it up. It's there. I can borrow for myself at any time, um, which all sounds good, but it is contingent upon the fact of actually having money of whatever type, yeah. you know, fiat, yep. uh, you know, digital, whatever. Um, in a transition to this you know, collateralized stablecoin world. What do you think happens like if people actually do need the leverage to say just a simple one is just go and buy a house, right? Like you want to buy a $500,000 house, you need to put, you know, 10% down, you need 50 grand. Um, And then, you know, the rest of the leverage to go purchase the asset comes from the bank. how 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 does like where where do you see that um, kind of all tying in together? Because it kind of strikes me as if I guess maybe the but if you take away the you know the pool of money for people to borrow against, like it might in theory be harder for people to get into homes. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. But our current system is really good, I guess, at giving people debt to go buy stuff. So do you do you see that yeah, in? Uh, I think it fosters, you know, crypto in general fosters a, a, an idea of saving, uh, and and it, it that that's one of the the virtues of Bitcoin, and and I think this is also why it's more of a green technology than people go on about, because rather than buying the cheap plastic thing widget, um, you're going to spend your precious crypto on that plastic thing, so maybe. You're going to save up a little bit longer and buy a quality one that's going to last for the rest of your life rather than just buying yeah. a crap one. So that's that's the first step of crypto. But the second step is as this hodl meme and this, this sort of savings meme comes more, stems more away from just the crypto sphere and more into a mainstream as, as, as crypto becomes mainstream, yeah. you know, the real hope is that we move away from 
just um, uh, getting rid of your cash as fast as possible because in, inflation is sort of yeah. eating it up. And and rather than uh, you sort of save it, okay, I, I do think there will always be a place for using your credit score um, as leverage because yeah. that that's the core fundamental difference is it. In a smart contract, you need to have collateral because you can't trust. We can't go after people and check their credit rating and and, yeah. and then send goons after them to recall things uh, that they've bought. And, you know, like, it's just not going to work. But that's not to say that, you know, there'll be S-Euro or S-USD, like standard USD, standard Euro floating around that third parties c- can't offer that system to say, look, we'll lend you USD on your on your good name and if you don't pay it back then uh, you'll get a i don't know credit score or whatever or yeah. maybe uh, people can build uh, insurance around that so this is an idea that uh, has been floating around as well that um you could use prediction markets to basically have insurance uh, whether you pay back a loan or not and and so you would build a, some sort of credit score behind your online ID. Uh, so you're not using your ID because if your ID gets stolen, this is the, yeah. the problem with KYC is that you get identity theft and all sorts of problems. But in the, in the sort of cypherpunk dream, what you do is you build an avatar, uh, which if it gets stolen, you can turn it off and relaunch a new one. Yeah. Um, but your, your flesh and blood isn't stolen. Your, your, your yeah. biometrics aren't gone. So, you, you, you know, because once that's gone, you sort of, you screwed for life. Yeah. But anyway, you could build this avatar and then, um, uh, this could get it become a credit score. Now a prediction market would say, okay, a prediction market is basically betting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I people would that. say, okay, I like, yeah. So, so a, a, a company with an insu- a decentralized insurance company would bet that you uh your identity will never get stolen and and uh and you would bet that it will get stolen at some stage and and then that the pool of money basically gets in there and if it does get stolen uh then uh then you that 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 would release so in the in the sense of if you took out a loan you would bet that I will pay back this loan yeah, and the insurance company will say, "No, you won't," uh, uh, or whatever, so some way around. I sure. the, the logic yeah. there. Yeah. Right now. But um, but yeah, and then you would you would have these smart contracts actually pay out. So th- there is ways of achieving this. It's just not something we're focused on. But I think it's really interesting, uh, and it goes uh, along that line of capital efficiency. Like it's inefficient if you want to buy a five hundred thousand dollar house to put one point five million down. Yeah, um, that you might not have just to borrow the five. But if you're really long ETH, you don't want to sell your uh, ETH for the house, so you can then lock it up. And uh, you know, yeah. But you do need a lot more than you know. So it it is it does put yeah. things like houses out of the yeah yeah yeah. Most you you touched on something I guess that I've thought about too, which is just incentives. Right. And we are currently incentivized to spend our dollars as quickly as possible on things that may or may not bring us real value. But I just really resonated with your point. Like, if you believe in the value of what you hold, you're going to be a lot less likely to just consume relentlessly. 
And I mean, I think probably at least for most westernized societies, that's probably a good thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've definitely noticed that if I'm going to buy something, I'm, I'm going to like, oh, I'm really going to sell my precious, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin. No, I'm going to, I'm going to wait and buy a quality one. You know, I'll get the Bose headphones instead of the, yeah. uh, the crappy ones because I know the Bose ones will last me way longer and I've got a better quality than buying the cheap ones and then they'll break within a month and then I'm going to have to buy them again and eventually cost me more. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting take on, on the whole green side of, of this space. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I don't know if you know much about it, but I've very surface level looked into the energy debate around, uh, you know, proof of stake, proof of work. Is it bad? Is it good? Where does it land? Um, That'd probably be a whole nother podcast. So that is a it's a very fascinating thing. And and you know, most people don't know this, but proof of work is has given the world probably the most R and D into renewable energies than any other industry. Uh, miners are frantically, constantly figuring out and putting money into uh, geoengineering and geothermals and all this stuff, which just isn't happening apart from some governments uh, yeah. doing that. But on a private way, it's just not. So there's been a lot of R&D in that. Not only that, if you look at the PlayStation Network, just on standby, it uses more electricity than, than Bitcoin. So um, like all the PlayStations in the world turned on, uh, just, just sitting there on standby. So there's... You know, we can say, oh, bad Bitcoin. It's very easy to point also at Bitcoin because you can calculate, okay, Bitcoin mining, you can calculate the hash rate, you can do all this stuff. And then you go, that equals that, that equals bad. But try to calculate the banking system. It's yeah. extraordinarily difficult. And yeah. some people have done it and they've shown that the banking system or gold mining uses like eight times as much, um, uh, you know, car mining, lithium battery mining, like, there's there's bad things about stuff, but uh, you, you know it's very very easy for everyone to spit about how proof of stake, how proof of work is terrible, and um, but yeah, it's it's like you said, it's a huge podcast in and of itself because uh, I I not like many Bitcoin maxis, and um, you know I used to be a Bitcoin maxi about proof of work, but. I think proof of stake is a really fascinating technology and we shouldn't just poo-poo it. You know, we shouldn't just say, ah, no, proof of work is the best. Yeah. Um, because we don't know yet. And if we see adversary at, uh, scenarios where China just bans all mining, well, what happens to proof of stake? They can't ban that because it just looks like any other traffic. Yeah. Whereas you can ban my physical mining because it looks like mining, <laughs> like it's yeah. very yeah. energy intense. You You're know? doing with all these computers? Yeah, yeah. You're either growing weed or you're mining Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, uh, you know that's that's the thing with electricity. All there, you know, all great commodities. <laughs> so yeah, all great <laughs> commodities. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, let's see. Like, I think we're right at about the hour here. Where where do you uh, want to start to wrap it up, Josh? I'll I'll give it back to you for final words on, you know, what whatever it is you want to talk about. Yeah. Look, I, you know, I, I'm 
I think one of the most important things right now in this time, uh, well, there's two. There's AI, which is which is a whole other conversation as, uh, again. But uh, the other one is CBDCs. Um, we are quickly heading towards uh, a technology that's extremely tyrannical in terms of its abilities, and um, and it's it's happening without debate. It's happening without knowledge. People just think it's a simple upgrade um, to the back end of a banking system and it'll create instant settlement. Uh, it's not. It's it's vast. It's all powerful, and uh, it it means that the central authorities can control whether you have had too much sugar that month uh, yeah. because there's an obesity epidemic, and they just turn off all your personal ability to buy Mars bars uh, yeah. to the next quota. You know, and and uh, that sounds stupid and silly, uh, but we're talking also, you know, carbon climate. Uh, if you. Yeah had too much oil for that month if you've you know whatever it is that they feel is important or hey we need to stimulate the economy if you don't move your money in the next month it's going to lose its value um yeah. we're just going to dial it down so so it, you better incentivize to start spending and buying and that'll stimulate the economy oh yeah great right. all of these things are, are, are possible with cbdc centralized digital currencies so uh we need to build uh a system, a stablecoin system that can compete against that, uh, can have that real-time settlement, can have all the stuff that people want, can be stable, but is decentralized uh, and not controlled by megalomaniacs. So it's um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's really uh, important to uh, to look at that and at least discuss it with your family around the table. Discuss CBDCs, uh, look into it, see what if if it's something you want to you know call your congressman about and. And say that you don't you don't want it, or you want it to slow down, and you want it to go through more steps of uh, control. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing we've all we can all test to is that once you give it to them, they're never giving it back. So, um, giving global government, yeah. you know, very Orwellian purchase technology seems like a bad idea. So. <laughs> Yeah, and you mix that with all seeing AI, uh, sort of AI. Uh, you know, we're, we're quickly handing a lot of stuff over that that, uh, like I said, like that our forefathers died for, and so uh, we don't want to, you know, spill blood again to get regain those those freedoms. We just rather not give up those freedoms in the first place. Yeah. Well, hopefully, our little podcast will move the needle slightly in in that direction. Um, but yeah, I mean, Josh, I'd love to have you back anytime. Like, it sounds like you've got some deep thoughts on all this stuff. And uh, I'm sure people would love to hear more, too. So, Thank you so much. And it's been really a pleasure to be on the show, Ben. Cool. Thanks, Josh. All right. Until next time, Cheers. guys. See ya.